0: This is B-Side. I'm Tamara Keith, and I am in a pretty pimped-out Airstream RV, and I'm here with Charlie Festa.
1: Hello, Tamara, and yes, this is my office, actually. This Airstream trailer is my office.
0: And and we are at a place called... this business is Threadless.com.
1: That is correct. You are in the headquarters... Of Threadless.com. This is where the magic happens. This is where everything goes down. Right here.
0: What is Threadless.com?
1: Well, it's global domination. But before that, it's a t-shirt company.
0: But what does Threadless do? I mean, it's a t-shirt company. But but the t-shirts are not, um, you know, it's not just like a beefy tee with nothing on it.
1: Pretty much what we do is anybody in the world can submit a design, their design, their original piece of artwork, and it gets put on the website for seven days, and then it's voted on. And at the end of those seven days, um, if they have the high score, they get their t shirt printed, and they get $2,000 cash and $500 store credit.
0: So this is kind of like social networking for t shirts.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. We've created a community, and it's a community of artists. It's, a com- it's not only artists, but it's just creative people. College. Yeah. I love um, this is Harper. Reed. Reed. He's the. Go ahead. I'm actually there. the coolest guy at Threadless. So um, that's my title. That's and um, yeah, it's a hard job.
0: So, um, you, uh, just for the listeners, you are not wearing a suit right now. You no, no, are uh, no. wearing a hoodie and jeans.
1: I actually, um, I, I'm a repeat offender. I wear the same clothes every day quite often.
0: So, were you wearing this yesterday?
1: I changed just the shirt and my underwear.
0: Have you ever worn a suit?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I got married once. I wore a suit then. Um, That was a while ago.
0: So we have a guy uh, who works for B-Side, Jody Avergan. He bought his first suit recently. It was a tailored suit.
2: Why do this? Because the house always wins. Unless when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the
3: house. In Ocean's Eleven, when George Clooney walks into that casino, he owns the room. I mean, obviously, he's a good-looking guy, but there's more. Look at that suit. With a suit like that, you don't look dressed up. You just look nice. Somehow, all of a sudden, a few years ago, suits took on a new meaning for me. Long gone were the days where I would squirm as my mom made me dress up for a wedding or parent-teacher night. Suit stopped being a marker that you were a sucker, a sure sign that you worked for the man. No, a nice suit became a symbol of confidence, a personal indulgence. Not dressing up so much as dressing right. So I decided it was time for my first real suit. Not the cobbled together sport coat and trousers that I'd had for the occasional formal event. No, a real tailored suit. One made just for me. Now, I'd long heard about these famous Hong Kong tailors. You know, most of the really expensive suits you get in New York or London are actually pieced together in Hong Kong, where fabric is really inexpensive. As it happens, every once in a while, one of these Hong Kong tailors makes a trip overseas, setting up camp in a hotel in New York or San Francisco. You show up, you get measured, they design your suit for you, and all the information is sent back to Hong Kong. A few weeks later, you get a package in the mail and inside, your brand new tailored suit. So, here I am riding the elevator of the Four Seasons in New York up to the 23rd floor, down a long hallway to a master suite where four tailors are staying for the week. They're taking about 20 suit orders a day from bankers, lawyers, and a couple guys who say they're rappers. I'm probably the youngest one in the room, and I'm definitely the one who doesn't know what he's doing. Right away I meet my tailor, Vishal, and we begin talking about what I'm looking for.
4: Is it going to be a work suit or is it going to be a leisure suit?
3: It's gonna be all around. I I don't wear a suit to work. Um okay, so, so mainly for like weddings and you know, just going out.
4: For evening wear and whatnot. So, right. so mainly we give you a nice dark conservative suit. Right. I
3: was thinking um like a dark grey. That's the color I saw Clooney wearing. In
4: terms of quality, are you looking for something in low end, medium end or high end?
3: Well if qual if quality's code okay. word for price, I, I'm I'm as I think I'm as low on your price scale okay, as it sure. gets.
4: <laughs> I'll show you some fabrics in the uh, lower end and you can see what you like, all right? Great. Okay, so there's some nice uh, pinstripes over here. Some are wider, some are narrower. I mean, for you, are not that broad in the chest, so I suggest don't go for anything too wide. And usually, the you know, you're not that tall either, so it's good to have a stripe suit so elongate you, make you look a bit taller.
3: Look taller? So now now we're talking.
4: Any certain stripe you like over here?
3: I kind of am more interested in a bit of a pattern. I mean, like a, a check or... Um, can I show you in this book? I don't know if this is the right uh, type of fabric, but, yeah. it's a, but it's an interesting pattern. Yep, yeah, this is yeah. Prince of
4: Wales check, you know? Right. Usually more traditional. Surpri- Surprise! you picked it out because usually the older gentlemen like wearing the checks, you know? Huh.
3: Okay, for those of you scoring at home, so far I've been reminded that I'm poor, been told that I'm not that tall, and apparently I have the taste of a 60-year-old British man. We're
4: going to you know, dress you up today. Okay. Okay, next step, we're going to talk about the style of the suit, right? So let me just note down the material.
3: When you're tailoring a suit, there are lots of choices to make. Single or double-breasted, two or three buttons, cuffs, and all these choices add up to reflect how you look and pretty much who you aim to be.
4: Okay, you're going to go for a, sing- a single-breasted suit, sir? Yes. You like yeah. two or three buttons? Um, I Because will... you're not that tall again, as I said. Thank you. Well, you know, I said, if you can do me a favor, and I need you to take your jacket off so I can get you measured up. Sure. How
3: tall are you? 5'10 5'11". 5'11", all
4: right. I've fairly long arms, though, huh?
3: Maybe. I can... I can touch a basketball rim. Yeah. Trying to be helpful, I brought in my favorite sport coat, the one that I wore for basically every big event in college and the increasing number of weddings since. It's one of the few things that I really feel great in. So I figure I'll wear it to give Vishal a sense of what works for me.
4: His shoulders are way way too wide. Okay. So, you know, this is an ugly fit.
3: Jeez, I guess I really haven't been doing anything right. But that's often what happens with clothing. You spend a fair amount of time, whether you're willing to admit it or not, developing your own personal style. You have certain favorite clothes that you wear obsessively for years. They come to feel like second skin. And then something happens, and very quickly those same clothes start to feel strange. Maybe you graduated high school or college or got a new job or got married. Something changes, and the fact that your clothes don't feel right anymore probably means that you've changed inside as well.
4: All right, what I need from you now is your name and your mailing address.
3: Anyway, Vishal and I wrap Somebody up and fill out the requisite paperwork.
4: Okay, they're going to make it there, and we're going to ship it to you directly. Okay. Anything else I can help you with? Do you I need know. any shirts or whatnot while you're here? I
3: think I'm all right for now. All right
4: for now? Okay, that's fine. Right.
3: Great, well, thanks a lot. Thank you. And then I wait. Lo and behold, three months later arrives my new suit. I rip open the package, and out it comes. Following Vishal's instructions, I get the suit pressed before I even try it on but then I rush home and I slip it on. You know, what they say is true. A tailored suit really is special. I've gotten some compliments already, and not just from my mom, and I know that all the memories of good times spent in this suit will attach themselves to it forever, just like any cherished piece of clothing. Let's be honest, I'm never going to look like Clooney walking into that casino, but when I wear my new suit, I kind of feel like him.
0: That was Jody Avergan. He's a producer who lives in New York City. And if you see him on the street, he will be the guy wearing a slick suit who looks uh, very stiff. (laughs) Um, And this is B-Side. I'm Tamara Keith, and I am at the Threadless.com headquarters. And and I'm now in a dimly lit office with shag carpet on the walls. And and who are you?
5: I'm Jeffrey Kalmikoff, I'm the uh, chief creative officer at Threadless.
0: And and what does that mean?
5: I pretty much control all the direction of the... uh, of art
0: Do you wear suits?
5: <laughs> Not very often. I'm just I'm the type of person who can't feel like my personality can come through unless I'm comfortable. So, I mean basically if you want to hang out with a dull guy, make me wear a suit. And that's And that I mean and my dad, for instance, is like my dad shines in a suit, you know, like you you know, like his like masculinity and like him being like a father and like he he puts on a suit and he like totally owns it and you're like that's a grown-up. And I wear a suit, and I feel like when little kids, like, you know, like when little girls play dress-up with their mom's makeup, and they're like, hey, look at me, I'm a little kid wearing big clothes. Like, that's kind of how I feel when I wear, it. minus the makeup, I guess, like, heels, costume jewelry, and all that kind of stuff. But uh...
0: Well, that, that, that gets into our next story. It, it's actually about a man who dressed up in his mom's clothes, and then spent the next basically 50 years of his life trying to figure out who he was. And and now um, he is a she, and clothes are very important to her identity.
6: My moods and my clothes have to match. If they don't, I feel out of sorts. Open the door. This is my regular side. (laughs) That's my business side and what's left over from before.
0: I met up with Megan Davis at her house in Sacramento. She's a woman in her mid-50s. She was wearing a comfortable long skirt and a shirt with her favorite shade of blue. Um, She grew up Ralph scouting and just recently had a sexual reassignment surgery. As a teenager, Ralph would sneak into his
6: mom's closet when his parents weren't home. I remember I would kind of go want to, you know, try this or that, find something I liked and try it on. But then I would have to look around, see exactly how everything was positioned, and then just, you know, take down what I wanted, uh, try it on, get upset because I didn't really like what I saw in the mirror. And put everything back exactly like it was. My memory of it is I didn 't feel very good about it, and as I look back, I understand why, because there was something there that I wanted to do that I couldn't do, and I was doing this instead. It just <clears throat> uh, doing these things in the closet, out of context. you know, when I put on clothes now, it 's to go out somewhere, it 's to be seen, it 's to feel a certain way, and all that was missing. That one was a little short. I have another one a little longer. It was actually a two-piece outfit skirt and uh, blouse. Oh, my Women in Religion t-shirt. It's yellow. I don't wear yellow, but you know I can wear it around the house sometimes. That's yeah. one I'm not too crazy about. That's definitely for getting dirty. By the time I was 14, 13, 13 let's say 13, I thought all this through... And I decided there was nothing wrong with what I was doing. There was something wrong with the fact that I wasn't supposed to do it. And uh, that's kind of where it sat for um, 50 years or so.
0: Ralph got married thinking that would make the feelings go away, but it, it didn't work. He and his wife stayed together for 27 years, but the marriage ended when he was transitioning into Megan. He started
6: with women's underwear. I forget why I have these.
0: I wear things like that <laughs> under
2: sweaters.
6: That's what it is for under other things. Yes. <laughs> Anything was better than nothing, basically. So I came out and then I, I changed my underclothing at that time. It was like intention. this uh, It's a step in the direction I want to go. It's a step I can take without having everything happen at once, because once start actually visibly transitioning, then my life can start turning upside down. And it did, too. It was something that somehow gave me strength to go on and do what I was going to have to do. And it was defiance. (laughs) It was just plain defiance. This is something you cannot do, you must not do under any circumstances. And I was doing it. (laughs) And that's what I was going to have to do ultimately to transition. So that was really where it started, I would say. I liked that until my partner said it looked like wallpaper. Uh, (laughs) Shorts. Lounging clothes. If I had ever been able to stop, Um, pull all the different things that were going on in my mind together in one place and connect them, I would have known what to do. But everything was fractured and, and compartmentalized, and I didn't understand it. So I was depressed. I didn't know why. I could not find anything on the rack in men's stores. I didn't know why. and There were all these different things, and I didn't know why. And sometimes I was in the mood to quote-unquote cross-dress. One day after I went full-time, I had a ritual. I went into, I guess it was my other closet, took all the men's clothes out of it, put them in a tub, a plastic tub in the garage, and waited for somebody to come along wanting used clothing. (laughs) (laughs) so that's all gone except for whatever was requested I decided I was going to go public and as soon as I did my concept of cross-dressing turned around the other way now it felt like I was cross-dressing when I went back to what I was doing before and that's the way it's been ever since
0: so go public, describe the first time you went public
6: oh (laughs) do I have to?
0: (laughs) was it that horrible?
6: (laughs) Well, when I think about what I was wearing and how I looked and everything, yes. But it's like first steps. But it was, I, it was crossing a threshold. And I realized as soon as I did it, there was no crossing back. It was a personality change. It was a major turnaround from a depressed male that didn't talk very much to someone that actually was starting to present as female and act the same way. Here's a coat that I don't think I've ever worn. Someone helped me pick this out in my earlier days when I was trying to... I actually uh, hired a consultant and went shopping with her, and that's how I got some of these clothes. So, some of the good clothes. And that was kind of where I started, was with good clothes, and then I worked into the more casual ones. Well, that's not true. We also bought jeans and other things, and I'm still wearing... Wonderful thing is... It's It's about clothes, but it's not about clothes. It's not about clothes in the sense that Oh, there's no special thrill to it. It's just ordinary, everyday feel good about myself, feel well dressed kind of thing. I could never do that before because I was wearing the wrong clothes.
0: B-side. I'm Tamara Keith, and I am at the Threadless.com headquarters. Threadless.com is its a place to get really cool t-shirts um, and much more. And I'm here with Charlie Festa.
1: Yes. Yes. Tamara. So the next person that I'd like to introduce to you is my favorite employee here at the Corp. It's my brother, John. Uh, his older brother, John, I guess. Hello, Hello. John. <laughs> so
0: which of you guys came first?
5: Yeah, I was here. Here or just in the world? (laughs) (laughs) Charlie came first at Threadless, uh, but I am the older brother.
0: So are you old enough to remember the women's lib movement?
5: I'm 31, so no, not really. I mean, I don't know. I'll tell you this, though. My soon-to-be mother-in-law was very active in the ERA movement uh, in the 60s and 70s. So, if I sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, I'll probably get in trouble, especially if she hears this.
0: (laughs) And I hate to ask, ERA? It's an acronym I don't know.
5: It's the uh, Equal Rights Amendment, I believe.
0: What you're doing right now is Googling it. It's also the earned run average. It's a lot of things.
5: Yeah.
0: Do you know if your future mother in law ever uh, burned her bra?
1: If I had to guess, I'd probably say yeah. But I don't
5: know. It's never really come up in uh, discussions, so. Maybe next time I'm over there for dinner, I'll ask.
0: That whole bra-burning thing is sort of an enduring image of the women's lib movement of the 1970s. But um, besides Claudine Zapp says, maybe not so much.
2: Here's the thing. Women never burn their bras. But the myth of the bra-burning feminist lives everywhere. What's going on? To understand how this happened, we need to go back to 1968 Atlantic City to the Miss America pageant. Women this year are mad, and I mean they are really mad. This is back when the women's movement is called women's liberation, and women are not being taken seriously. This is before Ms. Magazine, and this is way, way before Victoria's Secret. Women's underthings used to be ridiculously uncomfortable, because you wore these things to push you and squeeze you and put curves where there weren't any, and hide curves where you didn't want any. Then there's the girdle. Not that I ever wear one, but my mom did. She tried to wear one once as a teenager and promptly passed out. In fact, the concept of comfort is a pretty new idea. So when feminism came along and suggested going oh natural over being in pain to achieve the perfect hourglass figure, it was a pretty strong argument. And what better place to state your distaste for sexist undergarments than the Miss America beauty pageant? This protest happened right after the 1968 Democratic Convention, the one with tear gas and protests and probably a few draft cards burned. The images of the absolute chaos in Chicago during that time was witnessed on television and shown over the world, and it basically seared our understanding of that time. So it wasn't completely surprising that the actual draft card burnings and the supposed bra burnings merged into one big memory of the 60s. Back on the sidewalk outside Atlantic City Hundreds of women filled a trash can with girdles, high-heeled shoes, false eyelashes, makeup, and bras And in fairness to the myth, the desire to light a fire was there But there was just one problem No one could get permission to do it Since the boardwalk was wooden, the fire would be unsafe So these radical women were left with a trash can full of castaways of womenhood But instead of a fiery protest, it was just a big trash can full of junk. Because when going to the revolution, what's more important than safety? Stop for a moment and think about that. A protest to symbolize the male oppression of women's bodies stymied by a fire permit. I mean, following the law here doesn't exactly fan the flames of the fire. Of course, some over-eager journalists with big imaginations kind of move the story along, and the catchphrase, bra burner, was born, and hasn't yet died. Why is that? I think it's because the idea of the man-hating bra burner, defying the restraints of civilization over a gleeful bonfire, is too tantalizing an image to give up willingly. So the image of bra burner stayed, and either because of it or despite it, the modern women's movement endured. Girdles went the way of the two-martini lunch, and bras got a whole lot more comfortable. Because along with a feminine mystique, we also dropped the mystery of lingerie. Women traded in their uncomfortable contraptions for jockey for her and Haines her way. At least, that's what I was wearing in college. Let's be clear here. These women in 1968 did burn. They burned with a desire for change, for equal rights, for comfort, for being free from the pressure of making their bodies mold to ridiculous looks that had nothing to do with an actual woman's body. But they did not burn bras.
0: is b-side's claudine zapp she lives in san francisco if you want to read more of her musings on various things feminist and feminine visit damenation.blogspot.com and if you want to learn more about b-side visit our website it's www.bsideradio.org that's the letter b s i d e radio.org and that's all for this half of b-side but we're coming back very soon uh Charlie Festa has been with us. He's going to stay with us. And, and where are we going next?
1: Well, we're going to get on the Happy Time Trolley, and we're going to head down to Shirts Our Business. S.O.B. is what they like to be called. And we're going to go talk to Ron and Rick, and they are the guys who uh, set us up. They, they print our shirts. And we're
0: also going to meet a woman who wore the same color for an entire year. Wow. I I can't even imagine that.
1: That is wild. I can't either. I really can't.
0: That is wild. So stay with us.